Welcome to That Might Be Cool. I'm Jason Hammonds, and joining me today is a man of many skills, a man who's who's heard many voices and asked many questions. Uh, if you uh, listen to comic book interview podcasts, you probably know his name. Uh, it's David Harper joining us from uh, the Off Panel Podcast. David, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just have to say this is like deeply disorienting because I'm currently doing a podcast, but I have not pressed record yet. <laughs> there are like alarms going off in my head right now. It's deeply alarming. <laughs> I know what you mean, man. I as as someone also who's who's interviewed people before, like there have been a couple of times where, you know, you kind of keep an eye on like your your, you know, whether you do audacity or through a zoom or whatever, you keep an eye on like how things are going. And every once in a while, you'll like be in the interview and kind of like look at your software and realize that something's awry, you know, some waveforms are not being created, or maybe you didn't push record as soon as you thought you did something like that. And it's just Yeah, there's like an instinct there that develops that that I'm sure is is very odd for you right now. Oh, yeah, no, I, I just did my 200th episode. And I, saw that. I yeah, I had a question from somebody who was like, what is your your like, I think they were looking for something like, trend wise or something like that but the question was like what is your greatest fear as a podcaster i'm like i'm like my greatest fear as a podcaster is forgetting to press record to be totally honest <laughs> yes <laughs> dude i had i had brian hill on one episode and like for some reason audacity i was still using audacity at the time i've since stopped that and used a zoom to avoid such things but uh it just like halfway through the interview just decided to stop bringing audio in uh oh yeah that's I don't I don't even know what you do at that point. You're just like, I have to stop. I'm sorry. Stop talking, Mr. Yeah. Hill. I have to go. It was wild, man. I literally like I pulled out a new computer and just like plugged it in and started recording. And, and we lost like, you know, there was a good 15 or not 15. It was like five minutes of his story that we lost. But uh, it was a crazy thing. Anyway. We could talk podcasting all day, but uh, today we're talking about the uh, the second climactic uh, film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the one to sort of close out and bookend Phase uh, Two. Well, almost. Um, but this is the uh, the second assembly of all the the major heroes in this universe, uh, still directed and written by Joss Whedon. Today we are talking about Avengers: Age of Ultron. I was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope. I'll take that from them first. There's only one path to peace. Their extinction. What a deeply weird movie this is. It's so weird. So please tell me, when did you, did you see this in theaters? I assume so. And and if so, what were your thoughts coming out initially and how have they changed? So, okay. uh, I, I, I have a tendency of being like irrationally hyped about, comic book movies when i i remember when i came out of daredevil back in college i was like yes this is it my friends are like are you sure are you sure this was a good movie i'm like yeah trust me and then i rewatched it this is terrible uh (laughs) when when i saw age of ultron i remember thinking and and you know what to a certain degree this still stands up Mm. that it was the most like event comic movie that they had made up until that point like the first avengers movie was really like an issue of the avengers or or like an arc of the avengers yeah age of ultron really was like an event comic come to life for all the pluses and minuses that come with it absolutely absolutely there are so many like brilliant shots in this movie where you're like oh yeah that that's that's a double page spread right there like that's you know there's a splash page that's a really cool thing like so many moments that you just that bring you to life as a as a geek but then also, yeah, there's there's that bloatedness to it, and there's that weird part where like you're like, are these going on a little too long? Do we have a little too much fighting in this movie? Like, 
little things like that where, where it starts to, to feel like it's it's getting cl- dangerously close to buckling under its own weight um i've never decided if i felt like this film did buckle but but what's what's your take on it well, so it's interesting because it's basically a movie only comprised of high highs and low lows. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like there's there's a lot of stuff in it that I really like. Here's a good example. It is an oddly quotable movie for oh. such a like arguably terrible movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it's objectively not a great movie. And it's the one that probably most feels like it was. Like it was a battle between like Joss Whedon and whomever was guiding the Marvel Studios at that point. Like Kevin Feige a little bit. I don't yeah. know if Perlmutter was gone at that point. But either way, it just kind of felt like there was like, you know, the, the whole Thor's spa scene where he's learning about the Infinity Stones through bathing. Yeah. Like that that whole thing like makes zero sense and one hundred percent feels like they have to just jam something in there about the Infinity Stones. Yep. Um so like you know that all that stuff like a lot of the weird visions about Scarlet you know you know when they use Scarlet Witch's powers to yeah. like send Thor into some weird Ragnarok <laughs> world and yada 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 yeah that stuff just feels like studio interference to the max oh 100%. Um, but like I said it is really weirdly quotable like there's a lot of really good lines in it mm-hmm. uh the vi- I actually really like the visions introduction in there like the final scene with him and, and Ultron is actually really good yeah they they have like that that little interaction they have and and them you know kind of waxing poetic a little bit and talking about humanity's fate and like their potential or whatever is like actually a pretty compelling scene and it's also you know it's it's sort of Ultron looking at his replacement and being kind of sad about what what that means you know not only for him but just for the sort of evolution of his form uh yeah it's 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 a cool scene and i do like vision in this movie i think he he presents a really interesting thing and obviously presents a lot of cool like awesome character comedy moments throughout well and there was also there's great symmetry between that scene where everybody's trying to lift mjolnir and then he actually picks it up and then everybody instantaneously trusts him exactly that's that was that was a really smart moment it was a great callback to earlier in the movie um also like in that scene with him and ultron i always really love the line where uh ultron accuses vision of being like dangerously naive and he's like well i was born yesterday (laughs) it's brilliant i'm like yeah it's it's like a ridiculous line but at the same time it paul bettany really kind of kills it in all of his scenes oh can, can Even you, though you can you, you can tell that he's just like, I could be performing Shakespeare on stage right now, but instead I'm covered with a bunch of dumb stuff on my face. <laughs> well, and that's what I love is that Paul Bettany, you know, basically like what, six or seven years before this movie comes out, uh, had signed on uh, for a voiceover role, you know, for a, a small reoccurring voiceover role in the Iron Man films. And he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? That's fine. Uh but that, like to fast forward seven years later and be like, oh, cool. I have to spend like four hours in makeup every day for this basically the same role that I was already contracted to. Like that is that is such an interesting and weird arc. I don't think there's ever been like a role that has evolved quite to that extent in, in like really in cinema history. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, the whole movie is is kind of deeply odd in a lot of places, like the whole like Hawkeye randomly having a family thing that was that was strange, but it, you know, it kind of works in a strange way. Mm. Um, and, and it also kind of helped it, it tie, <clears throat> I feel like in a weird way, 
Jeremy Renner is basically the dad of the movie mm-hmm. and not just to the kids, but also to like Quicksilver and, and Scarlet Witch. He has that nice little relationship with them. There, there's like a lot of like, weirdly. I'm like a, a Hawkeye or Jeremy Renner is Hawkeye propagandist. I feel like <laughs> he, he's actually really good in the role. He just has never been given literally anything to do in these movies. Yeah. Um, and, and anyways, I, I thought he was solid in there. I thought that uh, I actually really liked Aaron Taylor Johnson as Quicksilver. Uh huh. Yep. And it was, I mean, I don't, are we going, I presume this is full spoilers, right? Oh yeah, full spoilers. I mean, the movie came out five years ago. Like, we're, we're <laughs> fine at this point. <laughs> okay, yeah. The, the, his death scene was actually really good. Um, I, I thought that they did a great job with uh, building him up and like having the, I don't know, like there's that whole like kind of, I don't even know how to properly phrase it. Like kind of like uh, rivalry between him and Hawkeye. Mm. And then when he actually saves Hawkeye in the end, and he has that line. It's like, I bet you didn't see that coming. And then just falls over and dies. I was yes. like, wow, that was actually pretty good. Good it's, job by you guys. It's a fun one. Like, it, you know, having it tie together sort of this this ongoing, like kind of quipping match they've been having throughout the movie. And, and yeah, it, it was it's a great character moment. And especially for a character that, you know, we weren't sure what to expect out of Quicksilver in this movie, especially because of the sort of Fox versus Disney of it all at the time. Uh, right. It was it was interesting having that character be so heartwarming. Yeah, I, I actually it, it's funny because a lot of people are I mean, Evan Peters is actually really fantastic as Quicksilver. Oh, totally. In, in the other movies. And uh, it, it is kind of funny that we actually had two good simultaneous Quicksilvers in movies, despite the fact that most of the time we can't even get one good Quicksilver in the comic. <laughs> that is true. I, there's like no, there's not many stories to point to where you're like, oh yeah, Quicksilver's great in that. I love Son of M and uh-huh. I really like him in a lot of the X Factor comics, comics, but he is just, he's a character that is like famously a dick. Yeah. And, and, and that is really kind of his defining characteristic. Like, did you ever read X Factor 87 from Peter David's first run? Actually, I, I, I haven't. I always hear great things. That's one of those Marvel runs that I always am, am told to read. I was such a DC kid growing up that I'm still kind of catching up on all the classic Marvel things. Well, basically, the whole issue is a, a therapist, like, talking to the entire X Factor team. And they're asking, basically, you know, Pietro Maximoff, like, why is he such a jerk? Uh-huh. And... And he was like, well, um, you know how you feel when you're at the DMV where everything feels like it's going slow, like taking forever. Uh-huh. He's like, that's what everyone in the world feels like to me at all times. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting insight into his personality. Yeah. I like that. We don't really get that out of Aaron Taylor Johnson, but it's still good. Yeah, it is. It's it, totally. We're never going to get that introspective in a lot of these movies without, you know, 10 movies to build it up beforehand. But uh but yeah, it, it, he does give a certain heart to this character, and he he, he really I, I like the kind of a how protective he is over over his sister, uh, and how idealistic he is, you know, throughout. Like no matter what his like allegiances are throughout the movie, he's always so um, bought into whatever ideal that he's that he's sort of pursuing, you know, and he's he's kind of just like trying to figure out what is right in the world and I, I like where he ends up you know the working with the avengers and having that realization of like oh this is what you guys try to do like you try to save people okay that's maybe i can get on board with that type thing i don't know it's it's a it's a cool arc that he has yeah there's that arc when, or that part when uh the helicarrier comes up and he's like this is shield and he's like, and they're like yeah and he's like this this is good i like this and i'm <laughs> yeah. just like oh yeah i well, also you know they actually do a really smart there's another smart thing that they do 
early on in the movie where mm. they kind of also tie those two characters to Captain America because mm. Maria Hill is giving Captain America a rundown yes. about, you know, their powers. And they're like, basically, it's like, oh, uh, she's weird and he's he's quick. Yeah. And I'm like, OK. And and she's like, I, I can't believe them. Like, how could they become this like this? And, and he says something along the lines of like, yeah, who would let a German scientist experiment on their bodies so they could protect their country? Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, Captain America. That's it's actually so good. a really good point. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. And then also, I, I love that she she follows it up with saying, uh, uh, we're not at war, Captain. And then he he responds by saying they are. And I like the, the whole exchange there is just so pitch perfect of like, yeah, the, the the paradigm, how much he can relate to them and and sort of looking at the situation that they are in, you know, from the inside of it versus versus where, you know, the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. and whoever are looking out like and, and I think it's obviously like it's such an easy translation to issues that are constantly going on in the world. But, you know, it's it's one person who, who might not view something as war or whatever is totally different than someone who's actually in an area that's affected by it, kind of looking at it and, and viewing that same issue. Um, yeah. I mean, see, this this is kind of why, like, when when you originally op- or asked me to come on the show, you gave me a few options, and one of them was like Avengers: Age of Ultron, and I immediately jumped at it as mm-hmm. as the option. It, the, it's a really interesting movie to talk about, partially because there are some really good parts in it. Yeah. It's also encased in like what is kind of a deeply stupid movie. Oh, totally. Uh, so, what is what's your overall take on it? My. I enjoy it a lot. Like it's a movie for me that has a lot of rewatchability. It's one that is like very easy to put on, you know, really at any time and just be like, yeah, cool. That'll be on in the background and it'll be kind of fun to watch. And there's some great popcorn to it. Uh, but there are just like these little elements throughout that, that, that do bug me. I mean like the black widow and Hulk romance is, Ugh. yeah, it's, no good. it's so annoying. It, Cause you know, like it'd be one thing. I don't think that it's necessarily like that. The two of them, have no chemistry or anything. It's just like when it comes out of nowhere and there's been no buildup for these characters that have had multiple movies to try and build something up with, you know, then the, it feels forced. And, and obviously it seems, you know, for the plot that it kind of was there's their romance is a very kind of, you know, direction changing thing. Like the, their romance tends to sway the plot in one direction or another. So it feels like, you know, when Joss is writing this, he needs, he needed something there to sort of push, this thing that way and this thing that way and so he decided to use that with black widow and hulk and it just felt so shoehorned and obviously there were some choice lines of dialogue that were really rough about certain aspects involving black widow that that are incredibly problematic uh you know and so there's those things about it where where it, it falls so short but it does have you know like three or four of my favorite scenes in any superhero movie uh you know the the scene of lifting thor's hammer right at the party uh when yeah, they're all just sitting fun. around talking. it's so fun the whole, the whole party scene is actually really good yeah it's great it's it's and that's the thing too is that this movie you know w- it, when it slows down to just let the characters bounce off of each other it's really really well executed but then you know because it takes those moments to slow down all the moments where it's moving it's really moving and it's trying to do like five things at once and mm-hmm. it, it, it it just gets so bogged down by its own weight but yeah, I mean, I it's it's one I enjoy of the like Avengers title films. I think it certainly is the weakest, uh, but it just it it brings so much joy in certain elements. And I, I remember watching it in the theater, and like I think the score for this movie is maybe the best Marvel score. Um, it's it's ooh, got ooh, that's that's tough. I don't know. I I'm I'm a major score guy, and I have to admit, like 
one of my biggest issues with the Marvel movies in general is the fact that oh, they have very serviceable scores at best. I, I agree and with you there for the most part. I, I, w- I will say that the Avengers theme itself is is good. Um, I don't know. I guess I've just never really noticed nothing about it has really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Like so, it, it, it doesn't have anything that reels. Or I, I guess that's kind of partially because there's no core focus in this in this story. So you don't have like a theme like, you know, for better or worse, Doctor Strange and Michael Giacchino's work in that is something that really stands out as Doctor Strange. Yes. Like, yeah. you remember all of those, the, the the sound that they use in that as, as a very Doctor Strange thing. There's nothing in Avengers Age, uh, Age of Ultron that really stands out to me. But I guess that in of itself is kind of what Marvel goes for with a lot of elements like that. It's like trying to stay out of the way of what people enjoy about the movie. Yeah, and, and I do agree there. I think with, with Ultron's score, there's there's something about it where... You know, I, I, I and I, I, I will say, I think Michael Giacchino and, and um, yeah, whoever it was that he was working with on, on Doctor Strange, I think that they executed that score very well, like you said, um, and managed to, like, give it those Marvel themes while still making it sound totally unique. Um, I, I think with Age of Ultron, the thing that I love about it is it kind of takes the established, you know, pattern and, and, and score that Marvel has, which is, by and large, underwhelming, Um and kind of elevate it and give it a bit more of a of a I don't know like a, a real actual mood to certain parts like the sure. especially the the fight scenes and the climactic parts I think the score really does a lot of work where they've 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 taken those themes and and, and put it like there's there's a lot of I don't know if it's like trumpet work or whatever I'm not that that big of a music person so I can't fully identify it but I don't know there there is something about this score that that for whatever reason resonates with me especially like the the final final like closing uh uh minutes of the score um, yeah, there, there's definitely some moody stuff in there, like the the weird vision that Tony Stark has when he when he touches kind yeah. of as he touches he touches the scepter and he, all of a sudden he's like envisioning their death. Like that whole part is definitely very ominous, and that's at least partially driven by the score. But yeah, I mean, it's I do think that in some ways it's kind of underrated because there are like the the Hulk and Natasha relationship thing, mm-hmm. and then there's the whole. Like like I said, Thor going to take a bath so he can like learn about the Infinity Stones. Like that whole part, yeah. there's so many parts in it. Use the word forced. There's so many parts in it that feel very forced that really take it down a notch. It, it's like if you actually just look at the five or ten best scenes in the movie, uh-huh. it's a good movie. But then if you look, if you combine it with all the rest, you're like, wow, these, <laughs> there's some really bad scenes in there. Yeah, totally. And and I think an element of this movie that that tends to get lost because because his character isn't that well fleshed out at certain points and it isn't perfectly executed. But I think James Spader's performance has kind of been forgotten in time. Um, and I think he delivers on that. Do you like it? I, I like his performance. I think there's a weird thing with the mocap, you know, like the mouth and stuff gets really weird. Uh, and I think the character is kind of hollow, but I think James Spader, at least to me, I think he really gave it sort of a, um, I I think he gave Ultron a, a powerful presence. And I think that his, kind of like the, the, his his restrained uh characterization where it was like you could feel it feels restrained like a robot but at the same time it's got that childlike petulance to it um mm-hmm. i don't know there, there's there's something there that i that i really enjoy with this performance but are you are you different on that one uh, i like him i think he, i mean it, it's there's some parts where he's a little too smarmy for me and mm. it's just like i guess 
I guess that you can make the argument that if if a robot downloaded all the internet, he'd probably be a dick right now. Uh, <laughs> just the way the way that things go, and he'd yeah. probably be very caustic and speaking memes and be really weird. Sure, but um, I have here's here's what as close as you can get uh, to a Avengers: Age of Ultron hot take from me. <laughs> um, I think Ultron is the third best villain in the movie. Wow. Do you want my countdown? Please. Number one, I love Andy Serkis's claw. Yep, so okay. good. Yeah, yeah. And and so in his introduction in this movie was actually one of the the most fun parts of the movie for me because I like the whole thing about how he's like not afraid of people and he's like I'm afraid of cuttlefish. So if you can make me think of cuttlefish, <laughs> I'd be like I'm like oh my god, this this guy's great. So um, good. It, it's another it's another character where like I and I, weirdly I talked about this on my 200th episode. It's like claw. Huh has no right to be as good as he is, but it really falls down on the fact that Andy Serkis probably enjoys being Ulysses Claw more than anyone in the MCU enjoys playing their character. Like, <laughs> far out. Like, he just loves it. Like, in Black Panther 2, he just yeah. has a great time. Yeah, he goes um, all in. Number two is the absentee mother who loses her child over and over, and, like, the kid runs out, and Hawkeye has to save him, so it kills Quicksilver. That's oh. my number two villain. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I watch that movie, I'm annoyed because I'm just like, this kid, how do you lose track of your child in the apocalypse when your homeland is literally flying because a robot took it over? Yeah, that's, that is not the best time to to not be watching your kid. <laughs> exactly. I love Anyways, her sorry. as a villain. That's a, re- that's a really good villain choice. I appreciate it. Underrated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, every time I watch that movie, I'm just like, God damn it. Why? <laughs> Parent better. I, I am curious because of the whole the, the Disney Fox situation that we have now, you know, here five, six years later, obviously Fox becoming a part of Disney. Uh, I am curious if Wanda and Pietro are going to be sort of retconned into being mutants after they were kind of, you know, they avoided the topic altogether in this movie. Uh, what did they call him at the end of Winter Soldier? It was something really weird. It was like the god the wonders or something it's like the age of wonders or something like that i think that was what it was i think they called them wonders i was like what is that supposed to be what is that word why they were trying really hard to not call mutants yeah they were and they had no idea i i I think enhanced worked pretty well in this movie except for the fact that both captain america and baron strucker use it and so then you go how do why are both of them like in unison on what this term is yeah, exactly. Did, was there like a memo that was passed out about these two people that no one knew existed until this moment? Yeah. Oh, we have enhanced on the field. I'm like, what? Yeah, and they went out to the heroes and to the villains, and they all decided on using the same language for it. I don't know. Very odd. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of... There's also a part of me that because of that, because there's no dispute over Quicksilver anymore, there's a part of me that feels like maybe they find a way to bring him back. Like, it could be an endgame or whatever, but in anything, really, like, there's, you know, this universe, it feels like... There's always the potential that somebody could come back, even though they thankfully haven't done it too much yet, except with Loki. Yeah, Um, that's one thing I do want to give a feather in the cap to uh, or to to Age of Ultron on is the fact it is the only movie that has actually killed a hero. mm. I think. Yeah, I I think you're right. Has there been another one? I think. No, I think I think you're right. I I can't remember. There was Heimdall in Infinity War. But I mean, that's like uh, like still up in the air. I guess. Yeah, he's he's not a proper Avenger. and, And we're also like. You know, people talk about like maybe the deaths before the snap actually matter. I still don't know about that. I feel like there could definitely be some like rewriting history elements to the new movie. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 one that's I feel like still up in the air until Endgame comes out. Him, Loki, and uh, 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 Gamora. I feel like we're we have yet to be seen whether or not they uh, 
have died or not. Gamora is 100% coming back. Book it. I feel like she has to, right? Like, otherwise, what yeah. is Guardians 3 about? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, they wouldn't build up that relationship, but we digress. We, we digress. Do, we do. Um, um, I, I will say my overall stance is that Age of Ultron is a very watchable movie that is also arguably probably one of the five worst Marvel movies. Yeah, I mean, and that that's the thing, too, We that's kind of become a theme in talking about these movies, and we've sort of jumped around a bit in, in the recording of these episodes, but uh, that that even the worst movies in this universe, like, when compared to a lot of other blockbusters, they hold up pretty well, you know? Like, you can look at your Dark Worlds and your Incredible Hulks, and especially on rewatching, like, there's there's always elements to it where you go oh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea. Or, like, they're going for something cool there. Or even just, like, this is still an entertaining movie to watch. Because um, my bottom three are, like, Incredible Hulk, Dark World, and then uh, the first Captain America, which I know is kind of a love-or-hate sort oh, of movie. Oh, boy, I love that. I That's... that's. <laughs> it's funny because... Uh, go ahead. I, I've, I've never been that big on the first Cap, but, I'm, but the second one is my favorite Marvel movie by a good margin. Uh... And and it's I, I definitely like when we recorded our first cap uh, episode, I, I got a little bit of shit for my stance on that one. And I've I've warmed on it a bit since seeing it and in the last couple of years. But I'm still I don't know. I still feel like that movie's a little bloated and a little uh, uh, slow. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No. Winter Soldier is also my favorite uh, Marvel movie. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think the first one works because it really fits the character. But and, and 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 like I think that the worst parts of it are probably like the CGI and stuff. Yeah. But I I just I love this stuff with with Doctor Erskine and like yes. um and, and like all the foundational reasons why Steve Rogers is such a worthwhile character. Like it really gets deep down to his core who the or who Steve Rogers is and why he's the perfect Captain America. You know, does all the war stuff totally work? Eh, yeah. But at the same time, like I. That that's what I think part of the reason why I like it. Also, Joe Johnston just really fits those types of like like that era I agree. Of, of life. But anyways, <laughs> we, so so uh, in regards to Age of Ultron, though, I, I like I said, I, I would probably put it in my bottom five. I don't know where my my official bottom five is. Yeah. Um, I'm generally honestly not a big Iron Man fan. Like three doesn't particularly work for me. Uh, two definitely doesn't work for me. Like Whiplash is just awful. Um. I, Sam Rockwell, conversely, is fantastic. Yes. But but anyways, but yeah, so Age of Ultron is definitely low down there. But I, I think the thing about the Marvel movies is that they're kind of the comfort food of movies. Uh-huh. You just, uh, I, I find myself, like, if, if I'm working on something and I just want something on, normally I'll put pick something that has a score that I like. Yeah. But quite often, I'll put on a Marvel movie just because, you know, I, I just generally enjoy them and they kind of... I, I can ignore it, and I can also pick pick my head up and look at him, and I'm like, oh, eh, I like this part. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I and it, and it's in talking about uh, the the sort of you know success of this movie and 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 kind of where it ranks up. Uh, this one successfully, you know, in ter- in terms of just like pure number success, uh, this movie on a production budget of 250 million uh, garnered 1.4 billion dollars at the global box office, which puts it at uh, let's see, number four on the uh, or sorry number three on the worldwide box office for the mcu um in terms of audience and critical response uh 75 of critics uh were favorable on this movie and 83 percent of audiences so it's it's definitely one that like i think when it came out especially since there was still you know the mcu was still kind of not quite at the the 
level of sort of locomotion that it has now. Uh, I mm-hmm. think people weren't quite to the point where they sort of had raised their expectations for what a movie like this should be. Um, and I feel like if Age of Ultron came out today, you know, it would probably be a lower score just because of the fact that we've got now, you know, 21 movies uh, in this mm-hmm. universe to be like, yeah, this this is what a good one, you know, Infinity War or Civil War or Winter Soldier, whatever, like the the top sort of team up movies in this uh, universe. I feel like with time, it's the the returns are diminishing on how much people will forgive of a movie like this. I'm genuinely shocked that it's number three in box office. Is it behind Black Panther and Infinity War? Uh, it is. No, it's actually it's behind Infinity War and then the first Avengers. Um, Black Panther. I can't believe Black Panther didn't pass it. Almost. It's it's like I think twenty million dollars away, which is funny to to put as an almost, but in the the scale of uh, <laughs> of these movies, twenty million is not that large of a margin. Um, right. Right. Yeah, Black Panther's like right in the middle of their billion dollar movies. Uh it passed uh Captain Marvel, Civil War and then Iron Man 3, but didn't quite top uh the first two Avengers movies or I guess mm. the first three Avengers movies. Um I bet I bet the one thing if you looked at the Rotten Tomatoes score, if you actually look at the average like score uh-huh. as opposed to like the the percentage, I bet it's really low relative to its 75%. Like I bet yeah. everybody that gave it like a passing grade was like borderline passing. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing about Rotten Tomatoes that always gets kind of misconstrued is they almost look at it as a, as a scale measurement rather than like a, you know... Percentage how, of reviews that were positive. Exactly, that were over, you know, a 5 or whatever out of 10. Um, but yeah, th- this this movie, I think it, it, it plays a very important part in the, in the sort of tapestry of this cinematic universe and especially of the Infinity Saga. Obviously, we're introduced to the Mind Stone here or at least retconned into the Mind Stone here where we learn that the staff that we saw a few years ago is the Mind Stone, apparently. Uh, yeah. And that's one thing that I think starts to bog these movies down around phase two is that they start to, you know, play with the sandbox and pull things in from other movies, but they're kind of forcing them into places that they maybe narratively like that 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 feels awkward to kind of place there uh mm-hmm. i think the mind stone is one of those where it's like oh yeah this that blue gem that we saw before was just a casing for this yellow gem yeah it's yeah. <laughs> like all right you know i'll roll with it it's fine um but uh in talking about comic book source material and obviously you're you're a big comic book guy uh they they obviously took the name Age of Ultron from an event comic that was happening really the same year that this came out or maybe like yeah the same year. Uh but to you was there anything that stood out in this movie that felt like it was kind of ripped from any particular comics or is the read kind of just that it's mostly an amalgamation of of tons of different Avenger stories? Oh, it's it's just an amalgamation. I mean, it has about as much to do with the original Age of Ultron as like I'm trying to find a random comic on my as <laughs> Sailor Twain by uh, <laughs> first second book that is to my left or Daybreak, another uh-huh. book that's to my left. Not a whole lot to do with Age of Ultron. Yeah. Mercifully, Age of Ultron was a very bad comic. Yeah, um, it was. It is It is also similarly a very hilarious comic in like the same way as the Age of Ultron is like that a lot of the stuff is kind of awkward and weird. Yeah, but it doesn't have the good points um, yep. in, in, in terms of the others like the other source material. I mean, the, the Ultron origin is obviously different. Yeah. Uh, Scarlet Witch and, and I mean, I really wish Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver had uh, similar origins as to what they had in the comics. Yes. Sadly, we will probably never see they're uh the pr- woman who raised them who is actually an anthropomorphic cow uh bova <laughs> one of my favorite characters in marvel universe because she is absolutely redonkulous um yeah so i mean like most of the stuff is is very different uh yeah. ultra or the visions origins are c- 
kind of similar. Yeah. I mean, because he was created by um, by by Ultron, and I think that his his memories were actually built off of Wonder Man's. Yeah. If I remember correctly, which is. I don't know. It's funny that I like the vision, given the fact that weirdly Wonder Woman is like one of my least favorite characters <laughs> in Marvel history. He's such a big nerd for a movie star. Oh, yeah. Um, ah, God, he's like he tries really hard to be cool. But I mean, I'm, I'm like, Wonder Man, you're not cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> he never uh, has. So, been. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you can see uh, there's all kinds of elements in here that are reminiscent of of comic stuff but it's just they had to twist it and i think they did a pretty good job with it to be honest yeah no i I think so and that's what i the best marvel movies i think are the ones that have i mean other than winter soldier are the ones that kind of pull from tons of different sources from the comics and make their own story out of it um yeah this movie uh other other than the mind stone and and the twins like those are really the big things i think that it sort of introduces to the universe that go on to play large roles and obviously vision uh, uh, but it does, I feel like get bogged down in the universe carrying storytelling of all of it. Um, you know, I think, I think that really infinity stones in general, whenever they're introduced into these movies, at least in my opinion, it tends to make the story a lot less interesting. Um, sure. They worked with it. Okay. In this movie, you know, like the mind stone was cool because it held the visions sort of personality and it became a MacGuffin that had sentience to it. And that had its own opinions and, and, you know, things that it wanted to do, its own goals. Uh, and so at least it wasn't just dead weight like most of these Infinity Stones are. Um, right. But, I will uh, say Guardians Guardians is the one that really makes the, the stones work in terms of plot. Yeah. In terms of plot, Guardians does a pretty good job. I do feel like that movie has a villain problem where, you know, either Ronan or Thanos... I, I feel like probably Ronan is the more unnecessary one where it's like this whole middle management dynamic between Thanos and, and Ronan and like the weird exchange they're doing for one thing and the other, it's kind of underserves both of them. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I think the plot does, does make the infinity stone work for it. Um, yeah. Especially cause it has the collector actually explain it and <laughs> yes. show celestials, which I am like 100% on board with. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, yeah, I, I the other thing, I mean, I'm trying to think of what else they, they that was really carried on going forward. And it's it's really pretty limited. It's really yeah. just the vision, Scarlet Witch, and a better understanding of the Infinity Stones. But I, I do think that like the second act really is bogged down by by all of the unnecessary mythology building that they do. I yeah. mean, really they could a lot of the stuff that they really succeed with when it comes to the Infinity Stones is basically like hand waving it and just saying, "Hey, this is the Mind Stone. It's really powerful. Yada yada yada. This yep. guy's got it in its head now. Let's go forward." <laughs> if they just did that, I think the movie would have actually worked much better. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think so too. Um, in terms of because we've been we've been rating all the MacGuffins as we go along, uh, uh, and just basically as an arbitrary BuzzFeed rating to give to it because it's just fun. Um, I would probably rate the Mind Stone around like a six in this movie, maybe a seven, just because it turns into the very interesting dynamic that is Vision and Ultron. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you do you do you disagree with that? What would your rating be if you were to put a rating on this arbitrary object? Well, I mean, given the fact that the entire plot of the movie is based around them pursuing the scepter, like uh-huh. I mean, that's what their ostensible mission is at the beginning of the movie is like they're yep. running, they're going to Sokovia so they can find Baron Strucker who ended up with the scepter. I'm going to give it an eight just mm. because it is more important early on. And it, it is kind of like the basis of the entire plot. Yeah. 
um, which makes it pretty much, I mean, a textbook MacGuffin. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. I do think, I mean, like a, a sleeper MacGuffin, it, that's not as important, but they always talk, you know, the beginning they have that Dr. Helen Wu, I think it is. Yeah. Um, the, the, the doctor who comes to the party and is like, is Thor going to be there? Um, <laughs> uh, she has the cradle, which she mentions early on. Yes. And like, it's like Chekhov's cradle. It's like, we know that it's going to come back up later yep. and Ultron goes to use it. So that's like another one. That's like it's a like super a, low grade MacGuffin. Yeah. It's like a second time, act it, MacGuffin type thing. Exactly. That that movie is like way too reliant on MacGuffins as is. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, most of these movies, the Marvel movies, especially there's one thing that everyone's trying to chase that, that, you know, makes a really easy MacGuffin, but I at least like that with vision and the mind stone that it be, that it is a more interesting thing than just a rock that does a thing. Um, yeah. uh, for, uh, for the villain, how do you rate James Spader's, uh, Ultron out of 10? What do you think? I'm going to give him, I guess he's, he's oh. your third villain. So probably pretty low. I mean, the woman gets an eight <laughs> claws, a 10, he gets a five oh. for me. I'm going to, I'm going to say that, like, I think that Spader was pretty good. I just think that, they mired him down in like there's like that part where he can't remember the name of what a baby is yeah. or children. And I'm just like, there was, there was a little bit too much. Like, I don't know. I think they were trying to make him feel relatable or like, yeah. like a real, like a real person. That's and fair. instead it just kind of made him seem kind of dumb. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'll give him a five, five. That's, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably sit right around like a, a five as well. It's Spader's performance, at least for me is the only thing that saves it. Um, he's a, he's a great voice for it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, best performance in this movie. I'm, I'm kind of thinking Andy Serkis would probably be the, the best performance <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your take? I mean, Andy Serkis is definitely the most engaged with what he's doing. Oh, yeah. Um, I, Andy Serkis is my favorite performance in the movie. Mm-hmm. However, I would say probably the best like performance by an Avenger would mm. probably be Paul Bettany in my book. Oh, yeah. He does. That's that's true. It is a pretty – he does a spot-on job like where, where, you, where, where you're talking about where Spader kind of falls short on being a sort of – you know, otherworldly presence of like this robot or machinery or whatever. I think Jarvis it, like toes that line perfectly. Paul Bettany does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the vision is is you're supposed to you're not supposed to totally understand where he stands yeah. and like what what whether or not he like believes in humanity or whether or not he's just going to be another destroyer. And I think that the way that Paul Bettany plays it, like it's very inhuman. It's very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, until until the end when when he's um. I don't know, like going back and, you know, not to make this seem like this is some sort of like Oscar winning <laughs> speech that, that Paul Bettany gives. But I like the part where he talks about humanity and he's talking yeah. about how they're I, I forgot what the line is, but it's something along the lines of like how there's like there's like failure, like humanity does have a lot of failures, but there's like grace and failure effectively. There's yeah, like yeah, something yeah. there's something wonderful to their inability to get things right. And I do think that that underlines his um his his you know how his understanding and his growth as even just a day i think whedon really got the vision i think that's a character he really understood yeah it's funny he he really like when in watching both avengers movies he with all these characters he either really gets them or he really doesn't uh i think thor is one of those characters that he does not understand at all and so he always did whatever he could to just push him out of the way and not have to deal with him Um, right he just kind of made him seem like a party bro yeah exactly exactly uh, which i guess in a way he kind of is he kind of is especially like taika embraces that i think even even more uh which makes thor really work in his movie um mm-hmm. uh then we've just got the the best rising star which in these avengers movies there are so many 
like people that are already established, I feel like our only option for rising star is Elizabeth Olsen, because even Aaron Taylor Johnson was pretty well established by this point. Wait, you mean in terms of actual like, like as an actor? Actors? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Olsen was in uh, was it uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene? And she was nominated for an Oscar for that before this even came was out. She, really? like, she was great in that movie. Man, I didn't even know that. I haven't seen that movie. Oh, it, it's it's a really uh, interesting movie about this girl who ends up in a cult and her family's trying to get her out. I think oh, Sarah Paulson plays her sister. Interesting. And it's a really like harrowing movie and she is wonderful in it. Yeah. I remember when it came out and people were just like, oh my God, there's another Olsen sister and she <laughs> might, might get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And I saw that movie and I'm like, it's not a movie I ever want to watch again, but Elizabeth Olsen is really mm. good in it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think she, was, was Godzilla before or after this? I think it was like right around the same time her and Aaron Taylor Johnson were in Godzilla, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Godzilla wow. did come first. Um, I do think it's very Ultimates three of them that they also played uh, a husband and wife in Godzilla shortly thereafter <laughs> or before one of the two. I don't know yeah. if you read Ultimates three, but there was definitely some. A, oh yeah, uh, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it gets very Game of Thrones around there. Um, yes, it does. <laughs> All right. So and, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of it, it probably has to be her. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of who else would even fit there. But, I mean, it's it's probably her. The Avengers movies are where it gets tough because it's always actors that have just been very well established or at least their characters were introduced in other movies. And so it's like they're almost the only the only option. Um, There's probably somebody super random that cast, like, I don't know, um, God, like Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence actually plays one of the Ultron robots yeah, in the back there you or go. something. Yeah, one of those cameos. Um, yeah. Last couple things we'll talk about, just the mid-credits and po- or just the mid-credits scene is the only one in this movie, and then the Stan Lee cameo, but uh, I think this mid-credits scene was one of these gratuitous ones that doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't do a lot for me, it's just Thanos grabbing the glove and being like, fine, I'll do it myself, but I feel like it's such a, I don't know, it sticks out to me where, where a lot of the others are kind of cool and they make sense with the the plot of the movie and stuff like that, but with this one you're like, are they implying that Thanos was con- trolling the twins i guess through the stone or yeah, I, don't I don't think know. it has anything to do with that I, I i don't honestly know it 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 probably in my opinion makes about as little sense of any of the mid or post credit scenes that they've had yeah because especially because like there's an entire section of infinity war where they go to nidavellir and mm-hmm. they're like oh here's the guy who made the infinity gauntlet recently mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. him and i'm just i'm like what is happening here yeah it is uh there's some of the timeline stuff like when you think about the tesseract and when you think about the infinity gauntlet where yep. a lot of this stuff doesn't start to add up very much oh yeah like captain marvel having the the tesseract in it i was my brain was trying to do some like timeline stuff while i was watching well, that movie and i was i don't know if this makes sense yeah yeah exactly um, i think it does ultimately add up but the, the gauntlet scene really doesn't i I, I I'm really down on that as far as mid to, yeah. to like post credit scenes. Yeah, I'd say that that one's like maybe a three or four only because it's Thanos and so it points toward the sort of overarching plot. But other than that, it's it's not it serves no purpose almost <laughs> and it's like kind of a boring scene. Um, I, I the other problem with it too is he's like you know okay I'll do this myself and then we don't see him again for <laughs> I don't know like yeah, I, I guess he shows movies? up in Guardians. And he's still sitting on his chair. Well, so and Guardians, like Guardians was before this, too. So this was like... Oh, this, was it? Yeah, this was after we already knew Thanos. And so it was like, why Why are this guy we already know? Like, why is he showing up here for just half a second to do basically nothing? And, like, tell us he's going to do what we already kind of know he's doing. So does he really just end up... He, he, the next time we see him is Infinity War? Yep. 
my god, he is really slow about like activating his his, <laughs> right? his plans. He, he gets his glove and he's like, "Now we'll get into it after I binge watch all eight seasons or seven seasons of Game of Thrones." Exactly, exactly. He really had to to sit back and enjoy. It. Yeah, he's he's it's so uh, it's so superfluous this scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then the last thing is the Stan Lee cameo. This is, I think, one of the better ones. He's he's getting drunk good. with the boys at the party and then gets carried out while he says Excelsior. It's the most gratuitous, but it's so good. Yeah, no, I like the fact that they actually worked him in yep. within the movie as, like, one of Steve Rogers' old World War II buddies. Yeah. So it's, like, one of the only times he's actually worked in from a plot standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I like the fact that he thinks that he can drink, like, Asgardian liquor, which, <laughs> you know... I mean, rational confidence or not, I mean, I guess that's kind of on brand for Stan Lee. But at the same yeah. time, like, it was pretty good that they just got straight wasted. Uh, yeah, yep. no, I like it a lot. It's it's a fun one. It's um, totally fun. I'm trying to think of if, how many other times was he actually worked into the plot? Not too often, like, because normally it's like the characters might acknowledge him or something like that, like in Guardians or something. But he's not actually like really there you know like it like in guardians of the galaxy he's he's you know the old creep with two younger women or whatever um mm-hmm. and then i think in the first iron man he's he's himself but he might be hugh hefner at least iron man mistakes him for hugh hefner uh, uh yeah but that's civil war he, he was uh, a ups delivery man who says tony stank and that's so a I golden guess that one. one counts yeah uh, that's my, that's my wife's favorite one. She hates Tony Stark, so she's like likes to call him Tony Stank. I'm like Jesus, <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> it is a good one. I love it when Stanley talks in his cameos. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what his Endgame cameo is. Yeah, it really will be. Um, anyway, but that's that's really it for this this uh, movie. There's all sorts of like random behind the scenes facts and stuff that really I just don't even care to get into. You know, Captain Marvel was almost introduced in this movie or whatever, but that's all whatever. It's off. It's off the screen. It was never put on, and so we don't we don't have to talk about that. That's for sure um but uh yeah that's that's really uh that's really it for this uh episode but david uh give the people the plugs let them know where to to find you on the internet oh man okay well my site is sketched that's sktchd.com uh it ha- hosts my podcast off panel which is a weekly interview series i just had my 200th episode and it was grand oh, yeah. uh recent guests include uh, uh lucy nicely the cartoonist uh, mm. matthew rosenberg the writer yep. uh next week i have vita ayala on for the first time Ooh. and uh yeah so it, it's it's a fun show um i'm on my patreon patreon.com slash off panel i oh, do yeah. weekly columns where I analyze all kinds of comic stuff and I, you know, I actually run mailbags and have like exclusive audio and written content and oh, yeah. uh, there there might be other things coming up, but I can't really talk about those yet. Ooh. So, well, those yes. those are all exciting teases and I will say off panel is uh, one of the podcasts I subscribe to and it's, it's a very good one. One of my favorite ones every week. So uh, it's, it's, it's good content. You can all go over there and, and uh, learn a lot more about the creators of your favorite comics. It's a good time. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, and what's your uh, what's your uh, online presence? What's your uh, Twitter handle? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, my Twitter is at slice fried gold. Uh, nice. That is my personal one. And then my uh, my tw- Twitter for sketched is at sketched comic s k t c h d comic because on. somebody has sketched and <laughs> have not posted since like 2010. Ugh. And Twitter is really weird about getting rid of stuff. So I hate that. Yeah. Yep. I know. Seriously, like you're just like. Of all things that are currently being like sat on, you can't like fix that one. Yeah, but uh, anyways, it's always, but yeah, no, it's always those Sorry, those eggs or whatever that are that are the the uh, taken usernames. It's always like someone with an egg picture who like posted one time and hasn't touched it. It's yeah, it's the worst. I don't even think they posted. Oh. They're just like this empty account. It's a bummer. That sucks, oh, well. man. But at least I can put comic on there. People know what it is. <laughs> there you go. I like. 
I like how I'm acting like the most confusing part of my site isn't the fact that there are no vowels in the word. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the word comic afterward. I think that's really throwing people through the loop. Exactly. exactly. Um, well, uh, everybody, thank you for listening. You can find our show on Twitter and Instagram at That Might Be Cool. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash That Might Be Cool. It's where you'll find exclusive episodes and other content. Uh, you can find me online at Jason Halftones. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We will see you uh, tomorrow, everybody, for uh, Ant-Man. Thank you so much, David, for joining the show. And uh, that is all today. Uh, thank you. That Might Be Cool.com. You never know. <laughs>